Thank you. Thank you. Well, I think everybody has notes. Um, we'll jump right in there because uh, I know the time is short, and and uh, with with these seminars and and there's always more notes than there is time to go over them. So uh, just want to jump right in because I believe that that the Sermon on the Mount and the and the, the 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 message of the Sermon on the Mount is is of vital importance of us today, and it's probably one of the things that has been been twisted as far as understanding the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount properly. Um, I've, I've, I've titled the seminar, A Vision of Greatness in the Sight of the Lord. The Vision of Being Great in the Sight of the Lord. And, uh, and it is something that, that we can unashamedly stand and say, yes, I want to be great before God. I really want to be great before God because God has put that very element, that very desire in, in the spirit of every human being is to be great before him. And, and he actually affirms that a number of times in, in, in scripture where he affirms the desire to be great. And, and he, and, and the, the Sermon on the Mount and Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he gives us the way of greatness. He doesn't say, yes, it's good to want to be great. He also gives us the exact way of how you become great in the eyes of the Lord. It's important that we want to be in the eyes of the Lord because the eyes of the Lord are, are, are an eternal reality and before man is not. Our time that we have on earth right now, we, the term we call it here at IHOP is we say we have a 70-year internship on earth and then there's eternity. Whether you're saved or not, you have eternity ahead of you. Some will rise to everlasting life, others to condemnation forever. And so being before the eyes of the Lord and His and how we walk out our life, they have eternal consequences. They really have eternal consequences, both positive and negative. And so wanting to be great in heaven and the way to be great, which is the Sermon on the Mount, is very important. And if it hasn't been important to us, we need to make it important to us. We need to meditate on these things. We need to break it down. We need to chew it daily. We need to have a vision of greatness. So the walking out of the Beatitudes. Walking out of the Beatitudes is more than, than just a few rules or regulations. That's not, I don't believe that's what the Lord's heart was in introducing those. I think the Lord's heart in introducing the Beatitudes is giving us the way where we can progressively continue to be joined with Him in intimacy. It's the way of being joined together with the Lord because He embodied all of these when He was on earth. He didn't just come and give us a list of things of what we should do just to be good, just so we can be good people. No, He did this because this is the way that we join ourselves significantly with the Lord. However much time we have, we put our time, energy, and money into, into the Sermon on the Mount reality and lifestyle, we find the pleasures of being joined together with God day, daily. And so it's the way we join ourselves to Jesus. It's more than just the salvation as a decision that we make. It's the reality of being joined with Jesus and being called to be one with him. He calls us to be one with him. And the way that we be one with him is to become like him. There's an awesome promise in Scripture that says, one day we will see him and we'll be like him, for we'll see him as he is. But there's a process that starts today by taking the very words that he said, that he said and the very life that he lived, and we, we seek to, to work that into now. We seek to be joined together with the Lord on these terms. Just a quick overview on the Sermon on the Mount, if you weren't here at, at Lisa's last session. Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5, 6, 7. Matthew 5, he lists out, starts, he lists out the eight Beatitudes, and we'll, we'll break them down a little bit more as we go on. He lists the eight Beatitudes. The, 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 
the great uh, measuring stick. It's, it's, it's the litmus test for every believer. It, 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 it's, it's how we will be evaluated before the Lord. After that, he lists six hindrances that war against the eight Beatitudes. There are, there are eight significant, or there, there are six significant hindrances that war against the Beatitudes, and they war against them daily, and they, and, and we'll, we'll, we might look, have time to look at them, but that's not the, the main point of this message, but know that they're there. Matthew 6 gives us the five elements that, that help produce, or help enhance, or help us connect, or walk out the eight Beatitudes. And, and it, what it does, Matthew 6, it gives us how to position a heart for grace to continue to grow in them daily. It's more than just finding a few definitions of what the Beatitudes are. We want to seek to implement these in our lives. We want it to be a lifestyle, not a pop quiz. We want, we want not, just, not just to memorize a few answers of, you know, what are the eight Beatitudes? You know, don't raise your hand now. But if you ask yourself, what are the eight Beatitudes? Do you know them? Do you know the eight Beatitudes? You know, and in, and... The question came up, I heard it in a sermon, and I kind of went, I do not know them. I felt convicted on it because there was something that was the very core of what Jesus said and what he lived. And so and so, I, I, it was a little bit troubling to me of how much I didn't know about him, so I went on a little bit of a journey, and still am on that journey of learning the Beatitudes. More than learning them on what they say, but learning them on how do I walk them out? How does it flesh out in everyday life? And I've learned that it's very, very difficult. <laughs> learned that it's very, very difficult because I always thought of the Beatitudes that a lot of people would say, it's Christianity 101. I mean, that's some way that, that when I first got saved, people said, it's Christianity 101. Now, 10 years later, after knowing the Lord, I'm looking, I've failed 101. I'm like, this is not a good thing. <laughs> even worse, everybody around me failed 101, and we don't even know it. I'm like, this is really, really bad. It struck me, and I kind of smiled at it for a second. I went, no, that was the Holy Spirit being serious. <laughs> Saying, no, I'm, I'm letting you know this now, so you, you, get, to di- you get a do-over on it. <laughs> Understand what it is. So let's look at your notes. Understanding the Beatitudes. It's more than, like, like I said, it's more than just seeing what they are, but we want to understand them. We want to seek understanding. Matthew five nineteen, the scripture right at the beginning of your notes. He says, Whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches, and when I say teaches, it means encourage, or it means provoke others to do so. You don't have to have a huge teaching ministry to have this verse apply to you. You have to have another person that you provoke and inspire and encourage to live the Sermon on the Mount. That's what it means to teach it. So whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So there it is. If you, if you do these, if you seek to implement these in your life and teach others, provoke, encourage others to do so, the, the, the banner over your life, you will be great in the sight of heaven. You will be great in heaven. That sounds like a good deal. And so, A, Jesus revealed a new paradigm for greatness, that we are to focus on being great in his sight rather than in the sight of men. We understand that, that this greatness will be fully manifest in the age to come and not in this age. 
And our greatness is based on our heart responses, not necessarily, it's not our natural gifting and resources, and thus it is available to everybody. We don't have to be the most talented. We don't have to be the most skilled. We have to be the most willing. We just have to be willing to, to press in and contend for it daily, and when you fall off the horse, we get up and we get back on. It's, it's, it's our heart posture. Our will, are we willing to contend daily for the Beatitudes? If we contend daily, earnestly, honestly before the Lord, he esteems it as great in heaven. If you do not quit on these eight, on, on these eight Beatitudes, you will be esteemed as great in heaven. Because oftentimes we look at who, you know, who's going to be great. We look at the ministry size. We look at the influence that they might have on the, wor- on the world. We look at the favor of man that might be resting upon a person. We say, that is a great one. The Lord's saying, no, it's something totally different. It's something internal. It's something internal. It's actually more difficult to become a great one when you have all those things in your life. I think the most significant test comes to us not when we're in our poverty, but when we're when our, in our prosperity. Prosperity is the biggest test. I think many people fail in their prosperity. And, 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 and we, can, we, can, we can hear many, many stories that we don't want to go into. But, you know, so when we look at things, we want to esteem who, is, who would you be called great or who would you think would be great. It's not measured by, their, by, by what they have accomplished or what they've received on earth. There's something in heaven that is eternal that, esteemed, that, that determines your greatness. B. A reward is partially given in this life, and it's mostly given in the age to come. However, when God does give tokens of reward in this life, it's mostly by the release of the Holy Spirit on our inner man. And secondarily, the secondary uh, token of reward is what happens before man. Secondarily, it's, it's increased blessing in our circumstances, whether it be more honor, more time, or more, more money, more comfort. Those things are secondarily. The, the, the primary reward that you get is something that happens on the inner man. It's the touch of God that happens on your heart. That's what you live for. That's, what, that's why we're here. That's why we seek him. We don't seek him to become great in the eyes of man. We, we, we seek the Lord and we seek these things so that we, we can feel God. The way we, when we do these things, it doesn't earn anything, but what it does is it increases our capacity to feel God. We want an increased capacity. It doesn't make him love us more, but it increases our ability to feel his love more. I mean, that, that, that is a very key thing. We, need, we want to increase capacity to feel the love of God more because he can't love us any, any more than he already does. But it's our end. It's how we feel it. C. Those who do and, and, and contend and feed their spirit on the Sermon on the Mount and teach others on the Sermon on the Mount are called great in the kingdom of heaven. And so we measure our ministry impact on how much People seek to walk out the Sermon on the Mount, not by the size of ministry. It's not by the size of ministry. There's, there, there's, there's going to be a time when people will, will seek the ministries that tell them what they want to hear and not necessarily the truth. We'll, we'll, we'll discuss that a little bit later. So it's not necessarily by size of ministry that means success. It is by the walking out of the Sermon on the Mount. D. Jesus has given us the clear map of how to be great before heaven and contending for the eight Beatitudes gives us the power on our inner man for the spiritual violence needed to take the kingdom by force. And it's the way to greatness before the, in, in the kingdom of God. It's the Matthew 11.10. You may have heard the verse. that From the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. 
and the violent take it by force. Now, what does that mean? What does that violence take it by force mean? It has to do internally. It doesn't, doesn't mean war on, on, on the outside. It's something very internal. It's the kingdom of, about the kingdom of God that we get little tokens of now, but will be fully uh, uh, manifest in the age to come. But we need to have spiritual violence. We need to have, we need to have strength on our inner man to deal with the issues that are hindering. And so when we look at the eight Beatitudes and the rewards, we see uh, the fact that it takes a lifetime to attain to. When we see the, the, the eight Beatitudes, I mean, they're major things. It's not a one and done. You know, we don't, we're, we don't be called or we don't be esteemed meek, and then all of a sudden we're, we're, we're done with the meekness one. We've attained meekness, put that one on the shelf. Now let's work on hungering for righteousness. You know, it's one of those things that we continually have to cultivate day after day. And I love it from the Apostle Paul, the way he said it. The Apostle Paul, the way he said it, I mean, when you look at the Apostle Paul's life before he got saved, I mean, he had quite the resume. I mean, he was, he was far and above better than any of his companions. Well, then you look at after he got saved, he, he, he didn't drop off. He did many great things, as we see in the New Testament. But he, but he says this uh, in the Philippians. Have this have this passage. Philippians 3, verse 12. And you look at the context, the context really is related to, to the Sermon on the Mount lifestyle. He says, not that I have already attained or am already perfect, not that I've already achieved perfection in all these eight realities. He goes, but I press on. He goes, that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also lay hold of me. He says, brethren, I do not count myself to have already apprehended. Now I'm looking at the Apostle Paul going, you've done a lot. I mean, you've done a lot. I mean, what you've written, I mean, it's, it's scripture. I mean, you've done a lot, man. He says, I, I have not apprehended it. He had a right assessment. He goes, I have not apprehended these things. He goes, but this one thing I do. He goes, I forget those things which are behind, and I reach forward to the things which are ahead. He goes, I press towards the goal. The goal is 100% obedience. The goal is to, is to, to be 100% obedient to the Lord and his will for our life. He goes, for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. And and when you look at this, when you look at this passage, he talks, he he uses the language. He goes, I press on. He goes, I I don't think I, he goes, I don't count myself to attain it. And he goes, I reach forward. It's a reach. It's a press. And the, and the sermon on the mount in our lives is not a come easy thing. It's a, it's a press and it's a reach daily. And, 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 and we need to have a right perspective of it. It's not something that comes easily in our lives. They're very clear, they're very straightforward, but they're not easy. I have not found them in my life to be easy. Neither did the Apostle Paul. And so we need the spiritual violence to be able to press, to be able to reach, and to be able to, to, to go after these, the, the, these, these eight Beatitudes. Let's go to Roman numeral 2. It's the call to be complete in Christ. And there's two different realities in this. The scripture presents two aspects of being complete before God. The first one is the moment we are born again. We are instantly made complete in Christ in our legal position. We are justified before God. And in, 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 in justified before God because of Jesus' work on the cross. It's in 2 Corinthians uh, 5. It says that we're a new creation in Christ. We've been reconciled to God. So that's we're justified before God. 
You know, we're, we, we are justified before God, but there's another element to it. It's secondly, we progressively become complete in our obedience in living in our living condition before God, which is called sanctification. If you're looking for the theological terms, one is justification, the other one is sanctification. And they're both foundational truths. You know, we are justified before God, yes, but are we sanctified? You know, when, when, when you first met the Lord, when you said yes to Jesus, you were justified. But was your life walked out from there forward in complete obedience to Christ? Mine really was not. If I, truth be known, I was just thinking about it. I got saved in April of 2000, no, of 96, not 2000, April of 96. There was a Billy Graham crusade that was going on that very summer, and I was already up in the front of the line wanting to rededicate my life to the Lord because it was just just the chaos, the conviction that was happening. It was not, you know, get saved and everything's going fine. It was, oh, my gosh, I got saved, and this is not an easy road. This is not a tough road. Or, I mean, it's not an easy road. This is really is a tough road. As, you know, three, four months later, I'm already backslidden. I'm going, oh, my gosh, I'm really bad at this thing. I am really bad at this Christianity thing. And in, in esteeming, looking for a way of attainment instead of saying, no, you're winning when you keep going forward and saying, I want more of God. I'm not quitting on this thing. I recognize my current condition and I'm pressing for more grace to be righteous. I'm pressing for more grace to, to be who he's called me to be, to be set apart, to be sanctified wholly unto the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 5:23. Paul has his prayer for the for the, Thess- the Thessalonians that God would sanctify them body, soul, and spirit. And he has the second letter. He says that the that the Lord would sanctify that you would be sanctified by the Spirit and by the belief in the truth. And so we need something with the Holy Spirit to touch us, to be able to empower us, to be sanctified, to be able to be complete, to be able to be complete in our obedience, to be complete in the walking out of these beatitudes, to be complete in in really embracing them in our lives. See, before God, our primary objective in this life is to become perfect or complete in our obedience. And Scripture uses different terms uh, for the same truth and it exhorts us to be complete in our obedience. We we, We need to set the goal for 100%. We really need to set the goal for 100%. One of the reasons why we need to set the goal for 100% is because it really is attainable. It really is a real reality that you can be perfect. God, God put that in there. He called us to be perfect, and so he didn't call us to something that we could never attain. God does not work that way. He calls us to something and tells you, I will give you all the grace and power to do it if you will stay with it. I will give you grace for perfection. And you look at it all throughout Scripture, and he uses different terms that we would be com- complete in our obedience, that we would be perfect or mature, blameless, without, without spot, that we would be worthy, that we'd be able to stand on that day. He, and so a number of different times, a number of different ways, he keeps, the Lord keeps bringing this reality to have a vision of being perfect, 100% obedience before him. Now, I've noticed the, that there's... A little difficulty in that because we have issues. I have issues. I have extreme issues. And that we, and, and that I need to address the controversy on the inner man because when it comes to the Sermon on the Mount, they don't look appealing necessarily. They don't look appealing in the natural. They don't look like something that is esteemed on the earth because right now the Sermon on the Mount reality, if you look at those eight beatitudes, they are not esteemed. They are not filling the newspapers. 
They are not filling the news on the, on, on the, on the, on the, on the TV. Because there is something different in that, that, that we have that, that, that's warring against it. There's a, there's a controversy, I, I call it the controversy of our inner man. That we say yes to Jesus and want to, want His fullness in our lives, but we're, there's still these little pockets of resistance. We have the want to, but there's always these little pockets of resistance that's hindering wholeheartedness. We're still embracing at some levels the, uh, the world or the desires of the flesh or sin in our lives. And the reality is that we, that, that we cannot have both. There's no way to have both. We can't have the fullness of God operating in our lives, of course, at the same time we're embracing sin. But there's a controversy in our inner man because there's, it's a lifelong process, a 70-year internship to work these things out and, and, to, and to pursue the, 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 the eight beatitudes and to, and to have them cultivated and formed in our lives. I just remember this clearly as a time in, in, in my life when I was saved. I had gotten saved in college. And before I had gotten saved, I was, I was living the, the, the typical college lifestyle. I was on the, I was on the football team in college, which was very, very privileged. Um, and I got saved because, I mean, I had really bombed out in life. <laughs> I mean, I was, I mean, it was totally unrighteous. We don't need to talk more about that. But it was, it was just, it was just the, the lowest of lows that I could ever, that I could ever experience. I had a few natural things around me that were, that were great, that were fine. You had friends. You had, you know, a little bit of a little bit of honor or a little bit of reputation for, for being in athletics, but there was there's a hollowness inside. And I remember I, when I got saved, the Lord the Lord really touched my heart powerfully, something like I never knew before. And then I tried to do the same thing again. I I I tried to live a Christian life, went to the campus ministry, pursuing the things of the Word. And at the same time, tried to do the same things in football as I did before. Obviously not do the whole go out partying thing. But I was trying to live both lives. I was embracing something else. There was something I did not want to let go of, but there was something I wanted to have. There was something in God that I knew from the Word that I wanted to have, but there was still something of the world that I really liked still. I still liked the praise of man. I still cared extremely and was still influenced majority by what people thought about me. And how they evaluated me. I remember clearly today because it was one year after I had given my life to the Lord. I was standing there. I was, was at a service. And a lady had a word for me. I was just getting prayer. And she had a word for me. And she said, I see you're like a, you're like a piece of paper. And she goes, and you're a piece of paper and you're just being torn in pieces. You're being split right down the middle. And I was at that time I was like, okay, she's right. Because I'm contemplating, do I, I have couple years of eligibility left. Do I just quit playing football? Because I knew I had a call to ministry. So I'm going, what, what do I do? I'm being split right down the middle. There's, there's things that I like that are part of my lives, but, but there's a tear that is happening. And I thought it was more about function. I was thinking, well, what should I do? Should I quit the team and, and get more involved with the campus ministry? But after looking at it, the reality was about the, the influence of the lifestyle that I was living that was choking out what I very wanted to have. I wanted to have the fullness of God in my life, but the things that I was doing outside of that were completely not conducive to it. It was feeding the things of the flesh. It was feeding the things of, 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 of the world that, were, that still had some residue in my life. And so I was doing the things that were completely opposite of what I wanted to do. You know, Paul had the whole thing that... 
you know, doing what he didn't want to do and what he didn't want to do, he didn't do. And, you know, that whole deal, I read that about five times and got really confused. <laughs> During that point in my life, I'm like, I think I can identify, but you do, don't do what I'm doing. I should do. I, you're confusing, Paul. And I finally connected with it. Oh my gosh, this is more about my lifestyle that's, that, that, that is, that is warring against my eternal destiny. There are little things that I didn't, that, that, that there are things that I considered little that were very big. There were, there were things that were actually warring against it. The lifestyle had to do with my speech. It had to do with, with my thought life. It had to do with, with, you know, how we treat others. It has to do with how we treat the Lord. And I was learning these things. I'm going, oh my gosh, I have a lifestyle that is totally not conducive to my vision and i was feeling that's what the tear was the tear is not primarily function it's the tear is 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 having a vision that is not being matched or it's not being fueled by your lifestyle and it was hurtful it was very very painful i remember going in and you know it was one of those things it was just like being recruited or something you know they they do everything they can to convince you i knew it was going to happen but i had to go in and i said you know it's all done I said, Coach, uh, I quit. He goes, no, take some time off. I said, no, I appreciate it, but I quit. He goes, well, why? Then there was the real test. Somebody who you've been laboring for your complete esteem, for him to say who you are or how good you are, whether you're a, a starting player or another guy in the middle, whatever, the guy who is actually boosting your ego the most and is uh I'm going, oh, uh, I just have, there's, there's tension in my life. He goes, well, just take some time to decide. I'm kind of going, he's not getting it. I'm going, is he really dull or I'm really not clear? I'm going, oh, I'm really not clear. Because <laughs> I didn't want to say it. I didn't want to address the issue. I didn't want to be bold and say, you know, the lifestyle and, and the atmosphere of the team is totally inconducive to righteousness. And I have a, a value of righteousness in my life that you guys are not helping. I didn't really want to say that to him. <laughs> call it the fear man. Call it whatever it is. I just did not want to do it. I already had to deal with the parents thing going, what? You joined a cult or something. You know, you gave up what you've spent your whole life trying to do. It's just, so I, I there's only so much of that I could take at the time. I just said, well, individually in my life, I want to go one way. And being in football is really not conducive to it right now. Not that the sports were bad. It's just, I did not have the capacity. I did not have the wherewithal to be able to do both. And no one does. We can't live divided that way. We can't live divided that way. We can't put ourselves in the atmosphere that actually wars against the Beatitudes. We can't put ourselves in, in, this, in these situations. We have to settle the controversy of wanting the praise of man versus the praise of God. God will not do our part in this. He's given us the free will to choose him, and he gives us more grace to live abandoned to him. He gives us the grace or the power on our inner man to make the right decision, but we still have to make the very decision. I say, Lord, if it's not your will, just take it away. He goes, no. He goes, I want your partnership in this. He goes, I want you to give it away. I want you to lay it aside. He goes, I'm not going to remove all these things for you. So it takes violence in our inner man to settle the issues. We have to have an unrelenting zeal that will go to the very root of the issue and resolve it. And dealing with the unresolved issues that cause us to draw back from the Sermon on the Mount because the things, the lifestyle that I would live, the, the, it wasn't even so much as 
talking with people because I didn't do the same things they did, but I put myself in a position that I heard what happened on the weekends. And 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 we don't necessarily we just think okay that's kind of bad, but do we understand it torments the righteous soul? Is what it says. Scripture says that that Lot, his soul was tormented by where he lived. Now he didn't take part in it, but just he was in the atmosphere of it, and it tormented his soul. It made it harder to do the things that he really wanted to do, the very things that God called us to do. And so we're, he was put in a position where he was actually in more torment than a conducive atmosphere to go deep in God. I was realizing, oh my gosh, it needs to be a violent, it needs to be a violent decision that we will do whatever it takes to resolve the controversy in our heart. So in dealing with the unresolved issues that cause us to draw back from the Sermon on the Mount, we need to have spiritual violence to pursue the Sermon on the Mount. It isn't, to pursue it is an act of spiritual violence against the spirit of the sage, which, which seeks to contaminate our inner man by focusing in, on and esteeming the temporal over the eternal. Because we don't understand the Sermon on the Mount if we, if, we, if we look at it in a temporal sense. These are eternal realities that we're, that we're considering here. We are considering eternal realities, and we are considering being joined with a holy God. God is really, really holy, and he wants us to be joined with him. We are really, really not holy. I mean, there's no shock. We really, really are not holy. We want to be joined with God, who is really holy, and he will not compromise who he is to be joined with anybody. But he will make a way for us to be like him. Once again, it's called the Sermon on the Mount lifestyle. It's called the Sermon on the Mount reality. So the spiritual violence can be defined as being unrelenting and, and bringing our time, energy, and money into alignment with the will of God. And it's eliminating every pocket of resistance. Every pocket of resistance or eliminating those things that cultivate pockets of resistance. Roman numeral three, being perfect. To walk out the eight Beatitudes. Jesus, uh, Rome, I got A, point A. Jesus defined being perfect or being complete in obedience as, as walking out the eight Beatitudes. As we pursue a hundredfold obedience. And this is our foundational call in life. This is everybody's call in life. Your call in life is to, is, is, is to be a hundred percent obedient in these things. In these Beatitudes. And we cannot focus on walking out the Sermon on the Mount without being very familiar with it. We need to get very, very familiar with it. We need to know these things. We need to have the the writing before us to be able to remind ourselves of it time and time again. We need to have the vision written before us. So the eight Beatitudes do not make sense being separated from from the context of pursuing a hundredfold obedience. We want to be obedient in all these ways. And so if we look at these separated from wanting to be obedient to, to the will of God in our lives, the eight, the eight Beatitudes, they just they don't make sense. They don't make sense. They look like just a rule sheet, something that we, we, we check off. Matthew 5:48, the Lord says, Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And I look at that and I go, oh, God, that's a high standard. I, say, I, 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 can, I can tell you assuredly... As much as I don't want to, I'm going to fail this one. <laughs> he says, he goes, he goes, he goes, this, this, this is the, this should be the vision of your life to be perfect. Not as the person next to you is perfect, as God is perfect. I'm going, oh no, this is not good. This is not good because it's, it's, it's not, our perfection is not based 
upon eternal walking out the person next to us or are, how are we compared to our fellow man he says no your perfection is is actually measured cons- in in relation to god so when we look at it we we need to see, we need to consider eternity when we look at the beatitudes because they have eternal consequences they have eternal consequences or eternal rewards and today there is a direct assault of the spirit of, the, of this age or the influences of the world, say it that way, against the Sermon on the Mount values and lifestyle. And if we compromise on these, we position ourselves not only for just not being great. I mean, if, 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 we, if we compromise on the standard of the Sermon on the Mount, it's, it's, it's far, I don't know how to say it, it's, it's far greater than just being great or not being great. If we compromise these things, we position ourselves for the great deception that is coming and that even now is at work. There's a great deception that is even now at work. Now, we want the vision of greatness. We shoot for greatness. But do we need to, re- we need to, rea- to have a reality or need to realize the, the consequence of, of, of the great falling away that is coming or the great deception? Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, it says that for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth. They will turn, they will turn to themselves teachers of what they want to hear, that, will, that which will make them feel good. And a lot of times what makes you feel good is not the reality of our own condition. What makes me feel good is not, it's, it's not always telling it like it is. And the day is coming and is already at hand. When truth is, 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 is being put aside for the sake of, 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 of praise. And it's, and it's, and it's setting aside eternal realities for, for the temporal. So we need spiritual violence to press for these eight beatitudes. We need a revelation that only in the beatitudes can we experience the abundant life that we, that we're dreaming of, the abundant life that we, that we know is ahead of us. And our natural mind cannot see this without the aid of the Spirit. And the natural mindset thinks that happiness is best found through favorable circumstances, which is like money, honor, and influence. We went over, I talked about it a little bit before. That is what the natural mind, that is what the temporal would, 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 would seek as our evaluation. Do we have enough money? Do we have enough honor from man? And, and our circumstances going right. God's saying that that's not the primary way of, of evaluation here. Let's, let's look at the, the, the Beatitudes, being poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. It's to acknowledge that we are in great need of help to sustain wholeheartedness. That's what poor in spirit means. That we have spiritually, we when we when we when we look right down to it, we have nothing. We are poor in spirit. We are poor in spirit. We are in great need. It's a serious dilemma, and we have a need for breakthrough upon the upon our heart, and need for breakthrough in our ministry and godliness. We, we, I mean, unless we see ourselves, the first two Beatitudes have to do with having a right assessment of ourselves or our own condition. It's not bad to be poor in spirit. Your reward is the kingdom of heaven. It's having a right view. We're poor in spirit, but God in, but in God it, there is eternal wealth to overcome our poor spirit. We have nothing. There's nothing we can do to overcome a poor spirit in our natural. 
The only thing we can do is join ourselves to God, who according to his eternal riches can give us strength and might in our inner man to, to, to actually experience or to know the very fullness of God that surpasses all knowledge. Our only way to solve the dilemma of being poor in spirit or, or the poverty of the human spirit is to join ourselves with God who has eternal riches. That's the only way around it. Praise of man, money, and circumstances cannot, can, cannot gain an ounce of strength or an ounce of, of wealth to a poor spirit. It's only in our joining ourselves to the Lord. And again, the joining of ourselves to the Lord is understanding what our condition is. And it's only in the Lord can, that can this, this dilemma be fixed. Let's look at the next one. Mourning for breakthrough, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's to be desperate enough or to be extreme in pursuit of a progressive breakthrough of the heart, um, meaning insight or power. So it's a breakthrough in our heart and in our ministry. Now, to mourn our current condition in relation to all that the Lord has for us and the, and the vision that he has for our life, is it, it's, it's having a vision for fullness. It's more than just mourning. Mourning in itself, I mean, I first read this, and I was like, oh, man, so God wants us to be depressed. He says, no, it's not being depressed. It's, it's, it's not being depressed. It's, mourning doesn't mean that we're depressed, but rather that we are desperate and unwilling to be comforted or to compromise and receive a lesser comfort for, for an eternal capacity. He said eternity in our hearts, and we cannot fulfill it with a lesser love. We need to, the mourning has to do with not being depressed, but to daily connect with that which is, that which is, is possible for us today and that which we are responsible for today. Because we are responsible for all that is possible. All that God is willing and able to give to you today is all possible. He will give it. And now we are responsible to go forward to it. And that morning, it, 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 it creates a desperation. We want this kind of breakthrough. It's to mourn our current condition of it, in, in a sense, and understand what is ahead of us so we can lay hold of it. So connecting daily with both what is possible and what we are responsible for. Walking in meekness. I'll end with this one. I'll end with walking in meekness. Because it says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness means to walk in the facet lifestyle or to have a servant spirit in the use of our strengths. We want to have a servant spirit. It's how we use our strength. It's not being necessarily a, 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 a weak nothing. Meekness does not equal weakness. Meekness is defined as how do you use your strength? Do you use strength to serve others or do we use strength to boost our own position? We can look at Jesus, the meekest man on the, on the face of the earth. He did not, he did not, he made himself of no reputation. Being the eternal God, he made himself no reputation. I mean, take that, 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 that is extreme from becoming eternal God to taking no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. What was his reward? He has a name that is above every other name, and everyone will bow. In heaven and earth and below the earth, they will bow at the name of Jesus. Why? It's, there's a word in there. It says, therefore. It was, there's a therefore right before that. He considered himself, I mean, he of no reputation. Didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped or something to be reached for. No, he took the way of meekness. Therefore, he is exalted above any other. So it had to do with how he walked his life out on the earth that got to his eternal position of being, of, of being exalted above any other. He really did have to walk these things out. And he really did do them. 
So the reward for the meek is inheriting the earth. And those who inherit the earth, and inheriting the earth, the meek right now in this age, the meek do not inherit the earth. The meek right now, we, I mean, you don't see the meek inheriting the earth. It is a future. It is a future promise. It's government in the millennial kingdom with Jesus. Those who inherit the earth need meekness to implement the realities of the kingdom of God to natural human beings on earth during the millennial kingdom. And if we do not, if we have not developed meekness in this age, we will not be able to exercise it in the age to come. You know, we will be intolerant, we will be impatient for the weak ones. Because there will be natural human beings, you'll learn about this in the end time seminars, but there will be natural human beings in the millennial earth. And there'll be real resurrected saints that are, that are, that are enforcing the government of God in, 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 on the earth. And how they do it, they need to do it in a way, in a, in a way of meekness where they do not crush the weaker, but help them attain to all that is available. It's using strength to serve, and it's using strength, um, in our, of our time, our energy, our money, our reputation. It's, it's using a servant spirit with our strength. So we need to have meekness so we, so we do not crush the weaker. We need to have meekness so, so, so we do not seek to, to justify ourselves in, 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 in ungodly ways. The other one that I, that I just want to hit briefly here is relating to others with mercy. It's having a tender spirit. It's H. Having a tender spirit in how we treat others who fail spiritually as well as those who attack, resist, or disappoint us. And we want to be merciful. And the way we be merciful is we, is, we, is we see how God has been merciful with us. We don't draw from our own human pool of what, how we define or how we, how we see mercy. We understand how God is being merciful to us. Merciful isn't letting things go. Mercy, mercy is not just, you know, not dealing with a situation. We want to be a steward of, of his mercy. We want, to, we, want, we, want to, we want to treat others with mercy when they, when they wrong us or, or when we lead other people. But we don't want to be, we don't want to be flippant. We don't want to be ignorant to, to, to the core issue. So, so the difficult tension of being stewards of God, God's mercy and, and showing mercy with, without compromising by either being impatient or too passive. There are different applications of mercy in, in different spheres of our lives, but we want to be those who are mercy, who are merciful. We want to express mercy. We want to show mercy to others as God has shown mercy to us. Okay, looks like our our time is time is ending up. I want to encourage you to dig deep in the Beatitudes. I mean, they're very straightforward. They're very very straightforward, and there's a number of them that are that are listed there, and I have um, other, other things on your notes. Um, defining the Beatitudes. But I want to encourage you, make it a life vision to embrace the Sermon on the Mount lifestyle and to, and to put ourselves in situations that cultivate the Beatitudes, not war against them. Because the spirit of this age will war against them. It's how do we spend our time, energy, and money where we actually cultivate these things. Because your call and your destiny is to be great in the eyes of the Lord. To be great in the eyes of the Lord. It is something that can be attained, and you can be perfect as he is perfect. Let's just pray, and then uh, they'll release you. Father, we thank you for your word. And God, we thank you for the grace to walk out your word. And God, we thank you for revelation to interpret it. So God, I ask you that you would give us a spirit of revelation to both 
interpret your word, to embrace, to see it as it is. And also, God, we ask you for the wisdom to use the grace that you've given us, that we would gain all the benefits, both in this age and the age to come, of being joined together with your son, Abba. So God, we ask you that you would help us. We stand as a people in need of help. So God, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would help us. Sanctify us by the Spirit, by believing in the truth. Sanctify us body, soul, and spirit. Cause these eight beatitudes, these eight flowers to, to flourish in our hearts. And God, we ask you to point out the weeds that are, that, are, that are warring against it. Give us the grace, the spiritual violence. To live as you called us to live. In Jesus' name. Father, we thank you. Give us grace in Jesus' name. Amen.